welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt and taxes and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, with a love of fantasy books and funk, and a hatred of running more than three miles, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and I am glad to join back with you today as I record this. This is March 23rd, 2022, and um, there have been some big changes in the markets the last six, seven months. Some of you might be listening to audio through our podcast, the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Others of you might be watching this maybe on YouTube or on my website or whatever, clients, people that are not clients. So uh, I'm trying to give an update for anyone and everyone that may be listening to this little episode video we are doing here today. So let me get my face out of the way. And let me share my screen with you. I did a, a presentation back in, in 2020 of something I called the war in the market, which was uh, several opportunities available during the beginning of the pandemic. Here we are literally two years later from when I did that presentation and thought it'd be interesting to do an update and talk about what I feel are four potential investment opportunities today. Again, we are doing this uh, over video as well as over a podcast. So some things I'm going to try and draw attention to for our podcast listeners, uh, other, other folks that are watching this, um, certainly you'll be able to follow along well. And all of this uh, is going to be a video presentation on our website, daviddeniston.com. We're going to be launching a YouTube, video, uh, YouTube channel here in the near future. So a little bit of trivia for everybody and um, something to think about here. Uh, what 10 companies that are still in it today have been part of the S&P 500 the longest? Now, a little hint for you guys, the S&P started in 1957. So the S&P has not been around as long as the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but uh, there's been 10 companies that have, that have been on it since the inception, practically. So I want you to, to take a moment, take a quick guess, and I will tell you the answer here in just a moment. Let's see if you can even get two or three of these. Little Jeopardy music. Do, 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 companies. Hopefully this is 10. <laughs> we'll see if I got 10 companies or not. You'll recognize a lot of these names. We got Procter and Gamble. We got Coca-Cola, J&J, which is Johnson and Johnson, Whirlpool, JP Morgan, and Chase now. You usually see it as Chase in today's world. General Electric. We'll see if they stay on the S&P 500 much longer. IBM, ExxonMobil, 3M, and General Mills. So those are yeah, that's 10 names. Hey, I got all 10. How about that? All right. So a lot of those names, thought it'd be fun to do a little bit of trivia for you. 
Now, of course, this specific presentation um, is meant to provide general advice, have to give all these great legal disclaimers. This is not specific investment tax or legal advice. You have different situations and different considerations of your particular financial situation. So um, certainly feel free to call with any questions at our phone number, 612-284-2409, if you have any questions about your specific situation you want to talk about here. All right, we got the disclaimer uh, away. If you'd like a copy of the slides, I'd be happy to email a PDF to you. If you'd like them, please email me, dave at daviddeniston.com, and I'd be happy to get you a copy of the slides that we're talking about here. So um, I used this quote last year, and, and I think it's good to remember this this year as well. Warren says, we simply attempt to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So what that means basically in a time when uh, the market was super high, good time to, to think about selling. We never know when that point is, but uh, you get this kind of sense. And, and I certainly have had it the last year, uh, year and a half, and even uh, during the, the uh, as we rose so quickly from the pandemic and interest rates were so low, man, it sure felt like um, people were being greedy, over levering and whatnot. And now today, I think we're really flipping into the opposite where there is a lot of fear and understandably. I mean, we, we have the, the Russian situation, we got the Fed raising interest rates, and there's a lot of fear out there today. But it's a good time to start thinking about being greedy, in my opinion. Now, here uh, is a, a table that I'm looking at right here in front of me that has a whole bunch of wonderful data on where we are specifically just for this year. So the S&P 500, the Dow, the Russell 2000, an all-cap global index, um, bond index, corporate bond index, barely had any gains whatsoever so far for this year. Ranged from about zero <laughs> as a height to about 1.3%. So nothing had had much in the way of gains as a height for the year. Now, let's talk about the lows for the year. Lows for the year, this is as of um, specific dates. Uh, the data I have that is current is through March 21st, 2022. Obviously, things could change between March 21st and whenever you are seeing this presentation or listening to this on um, the Freedom Formula podcast. So the low for the S&P hit about two weeks almost exactly ago, negative 12% for the S&P 500 happened on March 8th. The Dow got to negative 10 on March 8th. The Russell 2000 had a much lower low earlier, negative about 14% as of January 27th. The FTSE Global about negative 13% on March 8th. And um, bonds, the aggregate bond index was just a, a couple of days before I'm recording this. March 21st um, had a low of about negative 6%. And a shorter term bond index, the Barclays US one to five year corporates was down negative 3.78 as a low. And so as of the 21st of, of March, most of those things on the stock side had a bit of a bounce back. 
So the, the S&P is still down for the year, down negative six, the Dow down negative five, Russell 2000 down negative seven, the FTSE Global down negative six. Whereas bonds, we have seen yields increasing lately. We've gone from about 1% in the last year, year and a half, now up to about 2.5% on a 10-year treasury bond. And that is hurting our bond returns as we look at inflation. Historically, bonds have been a great hedge to protect against stock market losses in a year like this. But unfortunately, uh, we're hitting lower lows on bonds. So negative 5.9 and negative 3.78 for the, the one to five year treasury. So unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of places to hide. Doesn't matter if you're doing large caps, mid caps, small caps, international, aggregate bonds, short term bonds, uh, nearly everything has a negative number in front of it for this year. And so uh, we have to start um, talking about, of course, as we look at, at um, um, overall the negative year, at least so far at this particular point, um, always, of course, be thinking about your risk tolerance. Are you going to need money soon? You know, what, what's some goals that you're working towards? What's your time horizon for those goals? If you have kids going to college in the next year, uh, you probably need to be very conservative with your money and don't wanna take a lot of risk. Be thinking about the investment pyramid we often talk about with you know, things, things on, on a scale and uh, what you wanna be building your portfolio with. Be thinking about risk versus reward in lieu of your goals and, and time horizons. How much risk are you willing to take? How much reward are you looking for? So we always have to keep this in mind as we're talking about investments and going over the next few slides I'm gonna be talking about here shortly. So I'm a data nerd. Um, those of you that are listening right now, you are looking, I am looking at this table that has lots and lots and lots of data in it. And so what I have here on this table is data from 1998 to now. Uh, I actually have further data going back. Uh, I hear from a lot of folks and, and see many commentators that prior to 1998, you know, there were some very extraordinary decades and um, perhaps that data is no longer applicable with all the computer data. Certainly we can dig into that another time. Um, but if you look at 1998 to now, you can usually see it for yourself. So I challenge you to, to pull up this data so you could look at it and verify everything that I'm talking about. You can find it on Yahoo Finance, perhaps on a Morningstar, anywhere you can see charts. So this, this table that we are looking at has a whole bunch of different columns on it. On the far left-hand side, we have the year. Um, by the way, the, the index we're talking about here is specifically the S&P 500. So this is not the Dow, the Russell 2000, or anything else. This is just the S&P 500. Uh, column, the column on the far left-hand side has the year on it. So 1998 going all the way to 2022. There's a column that says negative 5% dip. And the column next to it says a negative 10% dip. So the, the question that I was trying to answer in this table that has a whole bunch of, of, of great data points on it is, does it make sense for us to buy when we have a dip? If we have a dip, how large should it be before we buy? And uh, particularly for those people that might have cash on the sidelines, 
Uh, maybe you've been waiting for an opportunity and want to know when to do it. And so uh, on the, the negative 5% dip, my question on that has been dur anytime during the year from a relative height to a relative low from starting on January 1st, has there been a 5% dip and has there been a 10% dip? And if you look at the table that we are going over in this video, you'll see on the 5% dip, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of yeses that are highlighted green and only one no. So certainly we could probably take a guess a 5% dip is very common. Again, not from January 1st, but intra-year from a relative height. Now, what about a 10% dip? Again, we have green and red, and there's a lot more mix of the Christmas colors here. We have a lot more yeses and a lot more noes. We'll, we'll go over the number of those in just a second. Uh, you can see on my notes here, on a few of the columns, we have the dates of the relative heights, the dates of the relative lows. So again, you could check all of this at your convenience. You can see the relative height price, relative uh, low price. So we have the dates, we have the prices, all that stuff. And then we have the uh, percentages of the actual low for the year from the start of the year, as well as uh, what happened if you bought at a 5% dip. What happened if you bought at a 10% dip? What happened if you bought at a 20% dip? What happened if you bought at a 30% dip? And then what happened for the year? So I've highlighted here under the 5% dip, red, if there was a 5% dip and um, it ended up being worse than what the market did for the year. So for example, in 2021, there was a negative 5.42% low. So therefore there was a 5% um, dip, or I'm sorry, there was a negative 5.42 relative height. In this case, it was uh, the relative height was September 2nd of 2021. The relative low was October 4th of 2021, so just a month later. So that was a negative 5.42% dip. If you bought at that time and you waited until the end of the year, you would have been up 10% in the S&P, 10.32% to be exact. But the S&P, if you bought from January 1st, was up 27% for the year. So you would have been better off just investing on January 1st rather than waiting for a 5% dip. In both cases, you're positive and you did fine buying at the 5% dip, but you would have been much better off investing on January 1st. And so as we look at um, these colors, red means you lost to the market or the S&P 500 in this case. Yellow means it's a break-even proposition. So in 2020, if you bought at a 5% dip, you ended up about the same as the market. It didn't really hurt you, didn't really help you. Uh, in 20, 2001, 2000, same thing. So those are highlighted yellow. We've highlighted red all of the years that you would lose, which there are a lot of them relative to buying from the beginning of the year. If we look at the... Next column over, which is what if you bought at a 10% dip? We have virtually no red. There are two red ones in 1998 and 1999, and everything else is green. But there are far fewer instances of it. And we'll talk about some of those numbers here specifically. Then we ask, what if you bought at a 20% dip? And every single one of those, you beat the broader market. Although you'll note, 
not every single one of them is a positive number. So for example, in 2008, you could have bought at a 20% dip, but you ended the year at negative 23.42%. That was better than the market, which was negative 38%. So that's a negative number, but it's highlighted green because you beat the market that year. If you bought at a 30% dip, there are only three 30% dips in the last um, 20, what is that? 23 years or so, 24 years. So um, definitely something to be aware of. Very rare, it does happen and uh, it does pretty well. So let's, let's look a little bit more at this. Should we buy at a dip? Negative 5% dip. 20, it happens 23 out of 24 times. We're talking like 96% it happens. So very frequently. Is it better than the market? Seven out of 23 times, yes, which is only 30%. So um, waiting for a 5% dip, you can invest into it, but you're losing out to the market 70% of the time. How, and then secondly, not only is it um, uh, better than the market, but did the year end up positive? And that's five out of 23 times, about 22%. So uh, very infrequently does it work well with buying at a negative 5% dip. Negative 10% dip, it happens 14 out of 24 times. So pretty frequently, about 58%. So it happens about six times out of 10. How often do you do better than the market? 12 out of 14. So you do better than the market 86% of the time. How many of those are positive and better than the market? Seven out of 14. So you've moved from a 20% chance to a 50% chance with doing positive and better than the market and negative 10. You are not guaranteed to have a positive rate of return though. You still have a 50% chance that you might do worse than the market. Well, what about a negative 20%? Well, now it gets to be a pretty rare event. In the last 24 instances, we're looking at six out of 24. So at the best, one out of every four years, we should generally expect to um, have a negative 20% dip. And how often did you do better than the market? Six out of six times. 100% of the time of those six instances, you did better than the market. What about positive and better than the market? Four out of six, 67%. So you really have the odds on your side in the rare event of a negative 20% dip. So it definitely does happen. Now, what about a negative 30% dip? Well, that is even more rare, three out of 24 times, 12.5%. How often do you do better than the market that year? Three out of three instances. So again, 100%. How often are you positive and better than the market? Two out of three, 67%. So, um, that, keep in mind, is just that particular calendar year. We've showed other videos in the past showing you what happens within five years afterwards of a bear market. 
Keep in mind, a, a correction is considered kind of negative 10 to negative 20%, a bear market, negative 20% or greater. So the odds really get to be at your side in a negative 20 or negative 30%. It just doesn't happen very often. So if folks, um, what can we conclude from studying this history? And now a commercial break. Well, my friends, you have probably heard I am now a completely independent financial advisor. And, and as the time that uh, I, I am recording this, the stock market is down. Now, there's a lot of question in terms of where is the market going? Where should I be investing my money? There's no better time than now to get a review of your portfolio and make sure that you are set up properly. As a matter of fact, tax season is around the corner too. Maybe you're looking for some tax, tax strategies and hints and you want someone to talk it over with besides your CPA. Feel free to give my assistant Kyla a call at 612-284-2409 to set up a free 30-minute strategy session with me. Again, call 612-284-209 to set up a free 30-minute strategy session with me. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And now back to the show. At a negative five percent dip, should you probably should you buy it? Probably not. You know, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What's the action to take? Probably none. <laughs> not a whole lot of action to take at negative five. I will point out what what negative five tells us though is that um, you're better off investing at the start of the year. Uh, you're better off investing really most any time. But should you make like a huge transition and really put your chips all in in the table and get more aggressive? No, no, not at a negative five. Um, you're better off just investing at the beginning of the year and um, you'll be on the better side of history more times than not. If you're listening to this, obviously, in the middle of the year, just keep in mind whether at negative five, negative 10, uh, overall, the market has shown that, that it does well. Should you put 100% of, of your money in the market? No, probably not. You should be considering your, your risk tolerance and what you can take. And um, perhaps if something gets, gets uh, the market gets worse, this could be good times to, to look at temporarily increasing your risk given the possible reward. So this leads us to a negative 10% dip. Should you consider buying it? I suggest um, start to strongly consider it at a negative 10% dip. And what's an action to take? I believe negative um, 10 to negative 20 is a wonderful time to consider rebalancing and putting extra cash to work. Remember that this uh, you end up better than the market 50% of the time and this, this particular dip happens 60% of the time. So it happens fairly frequently, more times than not, and you end up better than the market more times than not, and, and end up with a positive return very often uh, in that same year, and perhaps even in future years. What about a negative 20%? I say, in my opinion, that it's very strongly worth considering um, buying the dip, looking at potentially getting more aggressive for moderate to aggressive investors. It's a potentially great opportunity. Certainly look at rebalancing at a minimum again, and even reviewing the risk tolerance and reward to say, gosh, 
maybe this is a great time to increase your risk on an aggregate basis. Because here we know you, you number one, it's rare to happen one out of four, four years. And number two, uh, you have the odds on your side now. You're looking at the internet better than market about 70% of the time in that one year and possibly um, in future years as a bear market um, rebounds eventually. Now, what about a negative 30%? Well, I believe that this is possibly great for all risk tolerances now, whether you're conservative or moderately conservative or moderate or moderate aggressive or aggressive. I believe that the negative 30% or greater is an amazing opportunity. And everybody should strongly consider increasing their risk tolerance if appropriate. Always keeping in mind the time horizon idea, always keeping in mind the goals idea. It may not be appropriate for everybody that um, is investing, but gosh, um, a very rare opportunity. Remember this happens maybe once a decade, once out of 10 years to have a negative 30% dip. And just to reiterate where we're at this year, you know, we've seen about a negative 12, negative 13, negative 14, depending upon what index you're looking at. If we're looking at the S&P 500 that I was just talking about, the low on March 8th, at least as the time of this recording, um, was the low was negative 12%. And so for clients, many people, I did a rebalance on their buy and hold. So I did exactly that for quite a few clients. Didn't get to everybody uh, because things started turning around pretty quickly. And here we are at a negative six rather than a, a uh, negative 12. So we'll consider, we'll, can, we'll also continue to rebalance for everybody um, should the market get lower. But we haven't been to a negative 20, we haven't been to a negative 30. And um, anywho, uh, what uh, the next table that I have here is a chart from two years ago when I had the last presentation. And we were talking about different subsectors that were riskier, high reward opportunities. And so I, I compared to the S&P 500, we had things like the Global Jet Index, home builders, casinos, regional banks, oil and gas. Well, I, I don't have these statistics in front of me, but you certainly could look up any of these things. There are ETFs that follow each of these indices. If you want to look them up, um, please feel free to, to ping me if you want to check them out. But I will tell you in general, the home builders, the casinos, the regional banks, and the oil and gas explorers really exploded from this low. And generally, all of them outperformed the S&P since. The global jet index has not. <laughs> so of these, of those five different opportunities, one has basically stayed kind of, uh, it rebounded some, but not as well as the S&P 500 did. Uh, the home builders, casinos, regional banks, and oil and gas, especially oil and gas really has killed it. So I was asking myself, what are those potential opportunities now, if any? What could those potential opportunities be if the market goes to negative 20% or negative 30%? What could those opportunities be at that time? So at this particular moment, as of the later part of March here, I've identified several different opportunities that are down in the last year to year and a half. And so what are those relative to S&P? We got a biotech, 
We got a Moonshots Index run by Kinsho. We got a Global Clean Energy Index and an Emerging Cloud Index. So you can see several of those are down two to three to four times as much as the S&P. Uh, if we look at like that Moonshots Index, it's negative 54% in one year. So it's down a ton relative to the S&P. And you see this um, playing out not only in these indices, but all kinds of other indices where tech that had been so hot uh, or biotech, which hold things like Moderna, um, those particular indices have been creamed lately. <clears throat> and um, we'll talk a little bit more about why in, in the next few slides. Now, I want to go back to some of the history of a bear market. Again, we are not in a bear market. Bear market is defined as negative 20% or greater. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the history here as potentially maybe we get there. Maybe we don't. Maybe we've already seen that low. Maybe the negative 13% is the low for the year and we never go beyond that. Uh, I think that there's a good chance we could get lower than that because of Russia and these other concerns, but we don't know. Um, interest rates are still relatively low. Obviously they've risen back to two and a half percent, which is still very historically low relative to, to what it was. So uh, as we look at bear markets, we look at starting at the great depression to now. So not just 1998 to now, but all the way back in history. Bear market defined as a negative 20% peak to trough. So for example, we have the Great Depression caused by the banking crisis, which is a negative 86% over 34 months. Uh, the post-war slide in demand from 1946 to 1949 was negative 30% over 37 months. 61 to 62 was negative 28% over six months. November of 1968 to May of 1970, negative 30% over 18 months. January 73 to October 74, negative 48% over 21 months caused by high inflation and oil. Hmm, that sounds familiar. November 1980 to August of 1982, negative 27% over 20 months. Now we're getting to an area where probably most of us were born by this time. August of 1987 to December 1987, the, the uh, famous Black October, negative 34%, only three months, computerized trading. March of 2000, October 2002, many of us lived through that. I sure did. The dot-com bubble, negative 49% over 31 months. October 2007 to March 2009, negative 57% over 17 months. I think most of us lived through that, banking and housing. And then finally, our most recent one, February of 2020 to March of 2020, negative 34%. One month, the shortest duration ever, uh, due to the global pandemic of coronavirus. And what was interesting is I looked at the averages with the Great Depression, without the Great Depression, the, the percentages barely changed by adding in February to March of 2020. What did change uh, significantly was the duration. So prior, it was like 21 months. That's changed to 19. The without the Great Depression went from like 19 to 17 months. So the, the average duration of a bear market from peak to trough is 19 months with the Great Depression, 17 months without. So 
if if we look at this potential crisis and and what's happening right now, and if a bear market materializes, it may not fully materialize peak to trough for a whole 17 months. Where are we right now? The peak was January 3rd of 2022. So we could be looking at 2023 before we see a potential low if we have a bear market, which is very, very, very rare. Here since the 20s, you know, we're looking at five, 10 instances total. So about once a decade on average, uh, those happen. Sometimes it's a couple times in a decade. Sometimes it doesn't happen in the decade at all. Like in the 50s, there was no bear market. So we cannot wait for a bear market. It is very, very rare, but when it does materialize, we should take advantage of it. So I don't know, have we hit the top? Have we hit, have we hit the bottom? Uh, hard to say, we, we don't know. We do know certainly markets have been down lately. And um, I wanna talk a little bit more about those opportunities where we were talking about earlier. Why biotech? Why cloud companies? Why um, clean energy? Why are some of those things down so much lately? And there, there's a few reasons that I've read about, a few thoughts I, I have on that. Number one, some of these appreciated so sky high that on any, any basis, whether you look at, at a, a multiple of, of um, revenue to price, or you look at, at uh, price to earnings or whatever metric you take a look at, historically, an awful lot of companies, particularly the biotechs, particularly technology companies, frankly, got way too high relative to, to their earnings as, as this market fueled on cheap money seemed to um, abate. And so uh, if, we, if we look at why um, that might've happened, I would point to very cheap interest rates. A lot of these companies able to borrow extremely cheaply. Well, now with interest rates moving up, now the cost of that debt to increase and grow has just gone up. So they have to, they have to service higher interest rates, which ultimately takes away from their growth potentially. Uh, number two, um, certainly being the overall prices of, of where they were um, and, and some of the speculation. Number three, a lot of the cloud companies did extremely well on the, um, on the coronavirus and being able to stay at home. Um, so I can't name any of those specific companies, but I'm sure if you think about some of the, the companies you've been using over the pandemic, um, that would probably give you some good ideas if you look up their individual stocks. Many are down 60, 70 percent from their heights. And I believe maybe, maybe they've gotten hammered too high. However, um, if interest rates keep on climbing, if uh, perhaps some of them have trouble raising money, whether it's public markets and raising more equity or debt, there's a very good chance that a lot of them could go even lower. We don't know. Again, maybe they've hit the bottom recently. Maybe that was it um, back a, a couple of weeks ago and now they rise. Um, maybe it's a part of a longer term trend where, gosh, for the next year or two, they could be under fire. What I do know is, is for people that are willing to take risk, when something is down 30, 40, 
50%, as we were looking at earlier. So for example, the, the uh, moonshots index is down negative 54%. Could it go to negative 70%? Sure, it could, but gosh, what a, what a great time to buy. Uh, you look at the biotech index, it's lagging 30 plus percent from the S&P 500. A year ago, uh, from a year ago, the S&P is up 15%. Biotech's down 17. That's a spread of more than 30%. Same thing with global energy. Same thing with the cloud stuff I was talking about. Uh, some of these aren't down 30% uh, right now. Some of them are down 20%. So um, definitely for someone that's willing to take risk, those could be good opportunities. Because gosh, if it just gets back to where it was, if something is down 20%, if you started with 100, you're at 80 if you go back to where it was, you are up 25% on the way back up. Your return multiplies by buying low. Alternatively, for someone that says, gosh, Dave, you know, you could be right. Uh, maybe these things go lower. I don't think the bottom's in yet. If you want to use something called a buy limit order, you can place an order to buy something at an even lower price than it is today. Now, the, the pro here being if it does move lower, like you think it might, you are buying at an even lower price, which is always awesome. However, if it never hits that buy limit order and you make it as a good to canceled, meaning it, it doesn't cancel until it executes, it may never execute if the price just keeps on rising high or staying flat from where it's at today. So buy limit order is a great tool to think about in an um, environment like we have right now. Overall, you know, pros and cons. Um, number one thing that I need to point out um, as a con, you can never perfectly time the market. I don't care who you are. Uh, I certainly cannot perfectly time the market. Nobody I know has perfectly timed the market. However, um, I think as, as we look at things that are down, as we look at these various opportunities, whether you look a broader market index like the S&P 500 or mid caps or small caps or bonds, uh, things are down. So it's not a bad time to put some money to work. If you are concerned about the market and you have a bunch of cash sitting on the sidelines, put in some buy limit orders so you can buy when and if those things get lower. So overall, you know, there's definitely some pros and cons related to um, the markets and where things are at right now. Things could go higher, things could go lower. None of us are going to know until the end of the day. But I feel some of these things are attractive opportunities. I don't think it's a run to the, the bank and, and take money out and put it in the market right now kind of opportunity because we're not at a negative 20%. We're not at a negative 30%. When and if we should get there, that is a run to the bank moment, in my opinion, and put more money to work now <laughs> when you get there because they are rare. They don't happen very often. It can help set you up for the next few years. Uh, although we always have to keep in mind, maybe this, this uh, particular bear market um, the average is 17. Some have been extremely short, like the one-month global pandemic. Others have lasted as long as 37 months. It could be a multi-year um, downturn. Who knows? We'll see. I don't think so uh, with where interest rates are historically, uh, but certainly uh, with, with um, the, the current economy. Who the heck knows? But I just want to leave you with this. Remember, my friends, what Warren said, we attempt to be fearful 
when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. If you are seeing everybody around you being fearful, that is the time to buy, which quite often that's at negative 20, that's at negative 30% when other people are wanting to sell low. So what, what I am planning on doing for clients, if you are a client of mine, if uh, getting back to some of the stuff I had earlier, if we get a negative 20% to negative 30% dip, if you are a moderate or moderate aggressive or aggressive, my, my current plan as of today is to get you to be more aggressive than you are now across um, at least one of our three models, if not two out of the three. If we get to a negative 30% dip, I believe no matter the risk tolerance, that is a wonderful time to be uh, aggressive, more aggressive than normal. So for example, if, if normally a moderate investor is 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, we get to a negative, negative um, 30%, gosh, we might wanna think about being 70% in stocks, maybe 80% in stocks because it's such a rare opportunity. Uh, for a, a conservative investor, if normally we have 40% in stocks, maybe we get to a 60%. So we still um, don't want to be like crazy, depending on someone's risk tolerance. Always keep that in mind. But um, just remember, when things are down, we want to buy low, right? Let's be greedy when others are fearful. I hope this is helpful for you. I hope this has been informational for you. If you have any questions, please, uh, please give me a holler at uh, the phone number we have listed on the website or within this presentation. And I thank you for your time. Thank you for hanging out with me for a bit. Let me know if you have questions, if you have opportunities you're looking at that you think were pretty awesome, let me know about those. I'm gonna do more of these educational um, type things that are current to today. I think in the next one, we'll probably look at inflation and what has been performing well in an inflationary environment, as I know a lot of people are thinking about that as well. So thank you again so much, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, bye-bye. Thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion. I'm making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded from registration. 
The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.